So Aaron gave me free reign to pick anything in the Bible, and I did something wise, which I don't always do, but I just picked the best possible text I could think of, just a psalm that repeatedly said things awesome about God. So we're going to look at Psalm 145 this morning. I'm going to read the whole thing, and if you listen to anything this morning, listen to these next 21 verses. This is God's word. I will do my best to explain and apply it to us, but this is God's word in Psalm 145. So hear this great hymn of praise by David. Psalm 145, verses 1 to 21 say, I will extol you. I'm reading in the ESV, if you guys have that or not, but I'm reading in the ESV, Psalm 145. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works. I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. Amen. Uh, if you've ever heard of him, A.W. Tozer is a, a pastor and an author. He's um, died now. He's with the Lord. But he said this statement that is both memorable and profound. He said, what comes to our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. So what comes to our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Psalm 145 fills our minds with true things about God, with who he is, and with reasons to praise him. In fact, verse 3 of this psalm says, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. So Psalm 145 not only gives us many reasons to praise him, it also corrects the thinking in our minds that keeps us from praising him as we ought to. It corrects that wrong thinking. So, for example, here are a few things that will diminish our praise to God. 
Um, some people, myself included at times, we view God as really kind of like the Greeks do, as humanity 2.0, as the greatest, best version of humanity and nothing more. Or sometimes we view God as this distant power, some great being who started and made everything and stepped away and is really not active in our lives at all. Or we might view God as another tribal deity, this God who has power over a particular people in some region of the world or some aspect of life. Or we view God as this tyrant in heaven, waiting, excited almost, to punish sinners. All of those things, those are wrong views of God. And if we view God in any way like that, we are going to diminish the praise that's due to him in our hearts. We're not going to give him the praise he deserves. So instead, God has not revealed himself as a God who we have to dress up or a God whose flaws we need to cover up and ignore, God has revealed himself as a God who's simply worthy to be praised for who he is. And so this morning, we just look at Psalm 145, which is essentially 22 reasons to praise God. Now, I tried my best to condense that. A 22-point sermon is a little much. But I condensed to about five reasons, five categories. And so as we look at this, verses 1 to 3, we praise God for his unsearchable greatness. Verses 4 to 7, we praise God for his awesome acts. 8 to 9, we praise God for his astounding character. Verses 10 to 13, we praise God for his enduring kingship. And verses 14 to 20, we praise God for his goodness and grace towards all. And in the end, we will simply ask, may all peoples praise the Lord. Let every person in this room praise the Lord. First, we praise God for his unsearchable greatness. I've already used the word praise many times, but it should probably be defined. When we're talking about praise, praising God, it's simply acknowledging his worthiness. For example, Pharaoh's servants praised Sarah's beauty to Abraham. In Genesis 12, 15, they acknowledged she was beautiful and, and made that statement. Absalom, one of David's sons, was praised for his good looks and I think his great hair, if you read the story of Absalom. But the woman of Proverbs 31 was praised, lifted up as excellent because of her excellent character. Praising something is holding it up and saying, this is admirable, it's worthy, it's excellent, it's good. And then verbally stating so, proclaiming its excellence. At its core, praise is essentially... On one hand, acknowledging God for who he is, his godhood, his exalted status. And on the other hand, it's simply acknowledging you for who you are, human, not God, and humbly bowing in adoration before him. Kneeling is pra- uh, pra- praising God is kneeling before him in humble adoration. And that's what David is doing here. So look at verses one to three. We see three things about this praise, first of all, before David gives us many reasons. First of all, this praise David writes is personal. David says, I will extol you, my God and King. This isn't just an analysis of something great, a study of something scientifically. This is a personal encounter with God that David is proclaiming. He's proclaiming the God he knows personally. So his praise is personal. Secondly, his praise is perpetual. He says he will bless God's name, and that's who God is. His name is who he is. 
He will bless God's name forever and ever. And he says, every day, I will praise you or bless you. So that means, one, David is going to praise God every day until he dies and then for eternity as he spends his eternity in God's presence. But also, he says, I'm going to praise God every day. That means today he's going to praise God. And tomorrow, he's going to praise God. That means when today is good, he'll praise God. And when today is not good or seems not good, he will continue to praise God. When today is Sunday, he will praise God. When today is Monday, he will praise God. Whether it's good or bad, he is praising God because God is worthy to be praised. So finally, he says not only his praise is personal, it is perpetual, it will go on, but it is also plentiful. His praise is plentiful. David uses a number of words, extol, bless, and praise to describe this activity of exclaiming God's greatness. And I think each of these words has a different uh, flavor, a different nuance, but ultimately what I think David is doing is he's just doing the best he can with human language to exclaim God's worthiness. He's using all the words he has access to. I remember when I was, uh, I, humbling by the way, I, I tried to preach in a second language and very quickly I exhausted all the words I had at my fingertips. I could describe God with two words, good and great, and that was it. And so I just kept saying, God is so good. God is very good. God is great. And you know what? I just felt like so inadequate in my ability to describe how good God truly is. David has the entire Hebrew language at his fingertips. And he's throwing everything he has at this endeavor of praising God. Listen to some of the words he uses. Mighty, glorious, splendid, awesome, great, good, righteous, merciful, powerful, everlasting, and faithful. In fact, this whole psalm, I haven't noted yet, it's 22 verses. It's an acrostic poem, which means David has used every letter of the Hebrew alphabet in order to describe God. And so the effect is he's using every word he has at his fingertips and he's using all the letters of the Hebrew alphabet to do his best to just exclaim God's greatness. With everything he can, he's praising God. And you know what? No matter how rich the language he has access to or how many letters are in the alphabet, he will never be able to fully describe the indescribably great God. David says in verse 3, God is to be greatly praised because his greatness is unsearchable. So our praise of something should match its praiseworthiness. And it will always fall short. Some translations don't say unsearchable, they say unfathomable. A fathom, an old word for a depth of uh, measurement in the sea. So imagine, this is, God's greatness is an ocean without bottom. Every foot deeper you go, you'll always have more to praise. Or unsearchable. I like this better because it's more relevant to us tech people. So, if you search the word Facebook you will find 23 billion results. So if you take those 23 billion results and you spend 10 seconds just trying to read each of those results, you will spend 600 years reading those results. And yet David doesn't say God's greatness is 23 billion results. He says God's greatness is unsearchable. You'll never reach an end to that greatness. So that might sound overwhelming, And it should, because God is overwhelmingly great. But that doesn't mean that God is unknowable. 
I was just reading in a book recently, some gods and some religions are so great, they're unknowable. They're beyond you. God is not unknowable. He is great. But David proclaims the God that he knows personally. So two quick things. Heaven will not be boring. Heaven will not be boring because God is great. We will spend eternity knowing that greatness, enjoying that greatness. And that also reminds us that life today will not be boring. Uh, my daughter's not here, but often, I don't know why, she's like, Dad, I'm bored. I'm bored right now. And I want to tell her now, Bella, let's, let's study God's word. Let's look at who God is. Let's enjoy who God is. But life right now will never be boring because we have a great God to know and enjoy. And that's where David moves next. David moves in verses four to seven to God's revelation of himself in history. God has made himself known. And that's what David celebrates. So we praise God for his unsearchable greatness. We praise God for his awesome acts. The theme of this next section is, I think, stated in verse four. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. So really that's the theme. And we see the, the main idea of section four, verses four to seven in these verses. Um, you can go ahead and leave him up because what he talks about is two things. He talks about these deeds, these actions God has done in history, and then the people. So the, the reason people praise him and then the people themselves who are doing the praising. So just walk through those very briefly. You see, one, on your glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. In verse four, it described him as works and mighty acts. Verse six, they shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. So the idea here is that God's acts in history reveal his goodness and his character, his greatness. And the key act in the Old Testament is the Exodus. And that's probably what's on David's mind here because David uses the phrase mighty deeds and wondrous works. These are the very phrases Moses uses in a song of praise in Exodus chapter 15, verses 11 to 12, describing the Exodus event. Hear what Moses wrote. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand, the earth swallowed them. You've led in your steadfast love the people whom you've redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. So Israel in this song is celebrating God's delivering them, saving them out of slavery in Egypt through the Red Sea. And in that same Red Sea, that Red Sea came down and crushed and destroyed their enemies. And then after they came out of the Red Sea, they came with him to his holy abode. They were in his presence. They were with him. This deliverance was great. They were a weak, helpless, desperate people in slavery. And they were in slavery to the, what, probably the greatest ruler of their age. And yet God delivered them, humiliating Pharaoh, this great ruler, and humiliating all their gods that the Egyptians worshipped. Why? So that Egypt and Israel and all nations would know that he is God and there is no other. That we see that in Exodus chapter 10, verse 2. 
And this is just one. This is just one of the many occasions recorded in the Old Testament of God making his mercy, his grace, his power, his majesty known in history, recorded in the Old Testament. The rest of the Old Testament shows us these things. There's story after story after story, all of them showing us God's greatness. And I'm preaching to myself right here. So, hear this as, as one sinner to another. When you want to know God, don't open up your newsfeed, open up your Bible. I'm so quick to waste my time swiping to the right at that Google newsfeed and then 20 minutes later thinking, what a waste of time. So this year, I've already tried before the new year, but I'm trying, why waste? And I've really enjoyed it. I'll be honest, I've, I've not missed opening that newsfeed, much less. So let's open our Bibles more than our newsfeed and enjoy, meditate on God's greatness. Secondly, that's the reason these people praise God, but who is doing the praising? Secondly, we see David is calling the faithful in Israel to commend God's awesome works to the next generation. We all love telling stories. I don't know if I think Zachary Hebert's here. I remember Zachary Hebert was telling me this story, and it's a great story. He was telling me about the, uh, the victory of the Vikings over the Bills. If you guys saw that game this year, if you haven't seen it, I want to commend it to you right now. It was a, a fun game. To, don't watch the whole game. Watch like the last 10 minutes maybe. But it was a back and forth, exciting, unbelievable. It really was. So it was awesome in a way. And yet how much more are we to declare the greatness of God? So I'm not saying we shouldn't talk about other things, but I am saying how great is the victory God has accomplished in Jesus for sinners. We're going to get to Jesus at the end. I skipped ahead. I couldn't help it. But look at what he's done. This is the Old Testament people before Christ had come. They would tell their children, look at what he did. Look at how he delivered us from slavery in Egypt. Look at who he is and how he, who he's shown himself to be. Is this God not great? Is his mercy on our forefathers and on us not great? And he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. They were to tell their children God's greatness. So not only were they to tell their children, you'll see in these verses, particularly in verses 6 and 7, they were to sing aloud of God's righteousness. Another version says, celebrate God's righteousness. They were to sing about, celebrate these things to their children and with their children. So last week, Aaron, um, he alluded to the fact that today is unofficially Youth Pastor Sunday. So that's why I'm here. Thank you. Huzzah. So allow me to speak as the youth leader of this church. So you know in verses 4 to 7, if you read verses 4 to 7, you see a bounce between one generation describing God's greatness to another, and then you see something a little strange. David speaking about himself, saying, I will meditate on your wondrous works. I will declare your greatness. And what I think this reminds us of is that you cannot sing about, you cannot celebrate what you do not know yourself. I cannot sing about and celebrate what I do not know myself. So, first and foremost an encouragement to parents in the room and grandparents, to all of us really, meditate on the awesome works of God until you are moved to celebrate them, to sing about them in your hearts and then celebrate them with your children. Sing about them, literally and figuratively. Enjoy them as a family and enjoy God in a way that commends him to those around you. 
Now, let me say one more thing. This work of commending the, to the next generation the great works of God is not primarily CBC Youth Ministries' job. It is parents' roles. So primarily the parents' task given to them, we see that in Deuteronomy 6 and Ephesians chapter 6, is to commend the works of God, to raise their children to worship and love the Lord. And so primarily that's the parents' role. CBC Youth Ministry, myself, the YLT, we come alongside you. We support you. We supplement you in that. That is our hope and our, and our work. But I, I do know if I, if any of us tell our kids, God is great. We say that with our mouths. God is great. He's good. But then we live lives that don't reflect that. Our children see that. If we only make church a Sunday thing and we farm out ministry to someone else, our children know that. They understand that. And they see that God really isn't that important to us. If my kids see me saying things when I'm in youth pastor mode and then living a different life as their father, as a, as a husband, they see that. We actually undo the work we're called to do if we try to farm the work out to someone else. And so I, I want to exhort you, commend those works in your life and your words. And you might ask How? And I, had, I listened to a podcast, providentially, great podcast. How do we commend the works of God to the next generation? It was a podcast between two women. It's called Priscilla Talk. I'd recommend it. Great talk. The host asked the guest, how can we help young women in the church delight in God? And the guest responded, by delighting in God yourself. That's how we can commend the works of God to the next generation by delighting in God yourself, demonstrating a life that truly shows I love this God I'm telling you about. And so I do want to speak as a parent here as well before I finish this last point. Thank you to those of you grandparents, aunts and uncles, older brothers and sisters in the faith who are living lives that demonstrate to my children that God is worthy. <coughs> Cough. <coughs> so that... I, I do appreciate that and I need that. So I do say the youth ministry supplements, but it does supplement. That is our role as a youth ministry is to declare to your youth and your kids, God is worthy. But unless you're doing it yourself, we're fighting an uphill battle. Thank you to those of you who are doing that for me and my children. We praise God for his unsearchable greatness. We praise God for his awesome acts revealed in history. We praise God for his astounding character. So that God is the creator, many people will not have a problem with, that he's powerful. But that God has pity on sinners is often hard for sinners to believe, like myself. God has made himself known not only as powerful, but as compassionate. So what you read in verse 8 is really one of the greatest hits of the Old Testament. This is a verse when God revealed himself to Moses in Exodus chapter 34. And then this verse is repeated throughout the Old Testament, particularly in the Psalms and Prophets. Hear what God says. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. This is really a paraphrase of that verse. If you look at Exodus 34, verse five to seven. But God is gracious. He gives good things to those who don't deserve it. God is merciful. He withholds punishment from those who do deserve it. God is loyal and faithful 
faithful to a people who deserve to be abandoned for their repeated rebellion. And yet he is faithful to himself and his word and his promises. So when you look at someone's resume, if you're going to hire somebody, often when you're writing a resume, you put your best foot forward, so to speak. You want people to know what you're like, who you are, what your abilities are. Or when you get a business card, it's got somebody's titles and their credentials. What God wants people to know, Moses said, God, show me your glory. And God showed his glory in part to Moses by declaring his name. And he said, the Lord, the Lord, not powerful, mighty, awesome, or majestic, the Lord, the Lord, merciful and gracious. David knew that he was a sinner. We read Psalm 51, a psalm of David. He knew he was dependent on the mercy of God. The people of God were dependent on the mercy of God. And when their leaders were at their best in Old Testament history, they pointed the people of God to the mercy of God and said, repent, turn back to him. He's merciful and gracious. If you're confused or you've forgotten or you're wondering this morning, who is God? What is he like? God has told you in his word what he's like. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Matt Boswell wrote a song, we're going to sing it later today, which celebrates this attribute of God, his mercy. And it builds to this chorus of praise, which says, praise the Lord. Here's what he says. What love could remember no wrongs we have done omniscient all-knowing he counts not their sum thrown into a sea without bottom or shore our sins they are many his mercy is more what patience would wait as we constantly roam what father so tender is calling us home he welcomes the weakest the vilest the poor our sins they are many His mercy is more. And then, praise the Lord. That's where the chorus goes. In light of God's mercy, praise the Lord. So praise God for his character. Praise God for his awesome acts. Praise God for his unsearchable greatness. Praise God for his kingship. Verses 10 to 13, David moves. Praise God for his kingdom, for his kingship, his enduring kingdom. So David celebrates God's rule and reign in verses 10 to 13. He says, all your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. Why? Verses 11 to 13, he repeatedly refers to his kingdom, his kingship. Hear what he says. He says, they shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. So we see it repeatedly. And we also see the two aspects of God's kingship. It is not only the geographic region that God ruled over, which we know to be everything in the universe, but it's also God's actual ruling, his kingship, his his authority, his power. We see that in verse 11, as David celebrates God's power, his kinging. So, Last week, Aaron explained some of King Herod's exploits. He had great building projects. Remember, the disciples themselves saw the great buildings that he built and were astounded. He, he ruled for about 30 years. That's three decades. And his rule was one characterized by his power displayed 
in a tyrannical way. People feared him. His own family feared him. What people probably didn't realize in the time, for 30 years, one king, one ruler, it might have been hard to imagine that this ruler would one day be dead. And yet, his rule may seem like it was forever. His works might have seemed great at the time. And his building projects as well. But where is Herod now? We remembered a few weeks ago or last week, he's gone. His building projects, gone. In fact, not only do kings come and go, gods come and go. Have you ever heard of Elil, Ea, Sin, Ishtar, Shamash, Ninlil, Ninurta? I'm not going to go on. Okay, Marduk, one more. There's tons on there. We've forgotten them. Unless you read your Bible and have seen these names or you're a history buff, you don't know these people or these gods. Those were the gods of the Babylonian Empire, the great Babylonian Empire, which was great for a time. And where is it now? The Babylonian Empire is gone. The Babylonian kings, gone. All of their works and might, gone. And yet there's one king who rules forever. That's why the next psalm after this says in verses 3 to 7, don't put your trust in princes, in a son of man in whom there's no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On the very day, his plans perish. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made the heaven and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, and who gives food to the hungry. Psalm 115, we won't read the whole thing, was a psalm written in a world of many gods. And it was a psalm written by the psalmist saying, those are not gods, they can't speak, they, can't, they have no power, they have hands, they can't do anything. Give praise to the one true God who is God. And it said, the nations are going to say this, where's your God? And it, the response was, our God is in heaven. He's on the throne. And he does all that he pleases. It may feel at times for us, as we look at kings and princes around us, that some king, some empire, some ruler is really powerful. And we need to be reminded that there is one king who rules forever and one king who always sits on the throne. And that is God and God alone. And that's next David moves, as Psalm 146 pointed to, to just God's general greatness and goodness towards all creation. God is in general kind and good to all his creation. In verses 13 to 16, he celebrates that. And then in verse 17 to 20, in particular, he's kind and good towards his people. So the Lord is, we're going to breeze through this, by the way. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. If you've ever been sick and recovered, or if, like me, this happened a couple weeks ago, foolish, you were looking at your phone or texting and driving, and then you looked up and you realized you almost hit that other car, but you didn't, or anything else like that happened, don't say, whew, that was fortunate, or man, was I lucky. Say, thank you, Lord. God, you are gracious and good. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due season. 
You open your hand and you satisfy the desire of every living thing. If you have a full stomach this morning, whether you're a Christian or not, the praise and thanks are due to God. He's the one who's provided that food. If you had a donut this morning, many of you did, thank God. The grain that the donut was made from, the farmers who grow, grew it, all of that happened because of what God does. His products, his processes. Ultimately, our very existence depends upon God. The world as we know it, the universe is held together by God as we speak. But God is particularly gracious to a certain kind of people. And it's a little surprising, if you read verses 17 to 20, who those people are. It's not perfect people. When we talk about the faithful Israelites, it's not the perfect. It's not those who perfectly kept every law in the Old Testament. Read what it says in verses 17 to 20. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who trust in him. Sorry, all who love him. So, two, two examples. We heard about these in the last few weeks. Remember Jesus' family tree. Remember Rahab, the prostitute. She was one of God's faithful because she saw God's display of might, his character revealed in history and revealed in the people of Israel. And she said, I want to be part of that people. I fear this God. This is the real God. And I want to be a part of this people. She responded in fear, the right fear of God's power. And she called upon him. She united herself to that people. And she was one of Jesus's people, one of his ancestors. Or take Ruth, the Moabite, the foreigner, she became one of God's people in the same way. She saw who God was as Naomi, her mother-in-law, lived her life and proclaimed this God to her. And she said, I want to be part of that people. I want to follow that God. And then her life, her love for God was seen in how she treated Naomi. Boaz saw her character and the way she lived. So it's not perfect people. It's people who call upon God in truth, who cast themselves wholly upon his mercy and ultimately say, God is God. You are the one true God. So this is where all of these truths come to a head. This picture of casting yourselves on the mercy of God. This is where all of Israel's hope is ultimately found in Jesus. This psalm is wholly fulfilled in Jesus. Where all God's promises find their yes. God is revealed to us in Jesus. We know God because of the one who's made him known. Jesus Christ. He alone has seen God and was with God and has now made him known to us. The cross is the greatest act in history that we celebrate, that we meditate on, that we proclaim to the nations and to our next generation where we see by God's mercy sinners can be saved by casting themselves on God's mercy. Jesus has paid the price for our sins. The, the last verse in that song I was referencing is what riches of kindness he lavished on us. His blood was the payment. His life was the cost. We stood neath a debt we could never afford. Our sins, they are many. But his mercy is more. 
So all who look to Jesus Christ in this work on the cross that he has done in history will find the mercy of God and be included in his people when they cast themselves on him and say, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. This is the work we meditate on. We commend to the next generation that we make known to the children of men. And finally, Jesus is God's chosen king who we celebrated at Christmas, who we celebrate right now and who is currently right now as we speak sitting on the throne, ruling and reigning with all authority in heaven and on earth. Jesus is the king who will rule the everlasting kingdom forever and ever. And he will return. He will return to rule and reign in a kingdom here on earth. And so that's why this psalm, I think, ends in verse 20. There's also a warning. It's a warning to us today, and it was a warning to the people of Israel then. Verse 20 says this, But all the wicked he will destroy. We've heard verse after verse describing God's mercy, his kindness, and his goodness. And for anyone in Israel who saw that God and said, I will not worship him. I do not want him. I don't want anything to do with him. I want some other false God or I'm my own God. There was a warning that said, all the wicked he will destroy. That warning was primarily to the people of Israel. Those in and following, those people who were in Israel who did not really believe. He was warning them, the wicked, those who turn from him, he will destroy. It's a warning to us too. A warning that if we reject God's kindness, we reject God's mercy, he is just. And we will get what we deserve. We will get our just reward, destruction. And so, Psalm 145, in summary, we've seen not a God who's far away from his people, not a God who's far away from his creation, but a God who has come near to his people in Christ. We see not a God who's waiting to punish your sins, who's excited, but a God who actually took the punishment for sin on himself so that sinners could be made right, made right with him. We see not a God who's simply a tribal deity who rules over one particular people or in one place or over one part of life, but a God who has sovereign power over all things and in all places and all people, who right now sits on his throne. And we see not a God who's unknown and unknowable, but a God in his mercy who's made himself known to us in his son. So I, I hope as we start this year off, that these reasons we carry with us into the week, we carry with us into the year, there will be many times today or in the future when we're going to say, I don't know what to do. I don't really feel like I can praise God. I don't want to praise God. Here are five things to remember. We praise God because he is unsearchably great. Second, we praise God for his awesome acts revealed in history. Open up your word. Look at who he is and what he's done. Meditate on them. We praise God for his kingship, his enduring kingship. We praise God for his character revealed, particularly in his son. And we praise God for his goodness and kindness towards us in so many ways. Let me close us in prayer. Lord, there are many reasons to praise you. And we do ask, may the peoples praise you. Let everything that has breath praise you because you are worthy of praise. You are God and there is no other. You are merciful and gracious. Your character is excellent. 
Your works are wonderful. You are wise in your rule. You are currently ruling and reigning. Or so we pray, help us. Give us the faith we need this week. Give us the grace we need this year when we encounter trials or on good days and bad days to give you the praise that you're due. Lord, we pray for help. We thank you for coming near to us in Jesus, for making your love and mercy and justice known in your Son, and for making a way in your Son that we could be made right with you, to enjoy you and know you, the unsearchably great God forever. We again pray for our kids and pray that for those in the room who are parents physically or parents spiritually, anyone in this church, that we would commend to the next generation your greatness. Lord, help us to do that. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.